Scrum. Luke's rubbing his beard on the microphone, and that means it must be time to podcast. Are you ready in Nebraska? I am ready. Good. Are we ready in Kentucky? We are. Well, by golly, let's get started in 5, 4, 3, 2. Welcome back, everybody, to the Savage Cromcast, Season 4, Episode 8, The Lost World. I'm Josh. I'm Luke. I'm John. And we have recently taken a journey to the plateau and the unexplored reaches of South America, the jungle, if you will, of Brazil. And we've come back to tell the tale, the tale which was originally told by Arthur Conan Doyle in the early 1900s, uh, titled The Lost World. But now we're calling it uh, The Lost Road. That's where we are. Yeah, we're up in the highlands of Amazonia. That's right. Hey, John. What's up? How's it going? I'm good. It feels like we've not podcasted in a while. It feels that way. But it's not really true. We did podcast recently, didn't we? But we're always together in spirit. <laughs> That's right. Our uh, our animas are always together. Hey, what you drinking? I see a cup over there. I am drinking Wild Turkey 101 and wearing a tie. So I see that. Redneck whiskey wearing a necktie. You're classing it up. I'm trying. <laughs> oh, you, you turned up Professor Challenger and just all That's, kinds of done up. I mean, I had a job today, so like I have a reason that I wore it. But yeah, I thought I'd leave it on because I feel like an academic tonight. Well, <laughs> That's right. Good gosh, sir. Good I say. <laughs> Luke, it looks like you have something drink, uh, to drink there. I am. I am drinking a beer. This is Rheingeist's Panther Ale. It's a robust porter. It's something that you brought over, dude. Yeah. Yeah, I brought the Rheingeist. Yeah. Does it have real bits of panther in it? I don't think so. I think that it's it was made with Conan the Barbarian in mind because it's very pantherish. Svelte, black, silky, pantherish. Sleek. Because panthers are black. It's smooth. Are you sexually attracted not, to panthers? Not look? true. Uh, uh, the other thing that we have is a bunch of Miller High Lifes. Yep. Classy. That's fancy. Yeah. That is fancy. And that's what we're drinking. Champagne of beers. And some, That's some, what it says on the label. <laughs> some roasty porter from Josh. So tonight, our time is somewhat limited. So uh, for those of you who are listening, that that's that's why we're sort of rushing through a little bit. But uh, let's jump right into one things. Hey, John. What's up? What you got in the uh, the cooker for one thing? I always forget that I'm the first one thing. My one thing this episode is going to be a computer game I've been playing called Crusader Kings 2. I bought it during the Steam sale that's been happening. They had a Lunar New Year sale recently. Really? And uh, I, I bought it and some of the expansion packs that come with it. I've actually been reading about the game for a year because it sounded so interesting, sort of like Civ Five on steroids. But the best way I can describe it is it is a royalty RPG. Oh. Like you get to pretend that you are an entire dynasty of your choosing in like early Middle Ages Europe. And so I have I've chosen Ireland 
I started as the Count of one county, Dublin, and I'm now the High King of all of Ireland. I've united the island. <laughs> Great. Wow. Um, but you right get, on, like, dude. You 500 years to do a bunch of stuff. You're- if you die, you go to your kid. Uh, your character becomes your kid. And it's just really fun. Uh, it's a lot of work. It's, uh, if you read about it, it sounds like a lot of work, but it's also pretty interesting. So check it out. I thought it seemed like you had a regal bearing about you tonight. Thank you. Thank it was you. it was more than just the, the tie. Was extra pointy. That's why you're wearing that tie. You, you're the high king. <laughs> the high king of Ireland. <laughs> That's right. He has his uh, his cudgel and the crown. That's right, and the stone. How about but, you, Luke? My one thing is a uh, an album. It's been out for a little while, uh, but I just got it just the other day. Uh, it is uh, the self titled album by Nathaniel Rateliff and the Night Sweats. These guys they play some uh, some just really good rockin' sort of soul. If uh, if you're inclined, Google or uh, hop on the YouTubes and look up the song SOB, Son of a Bitch, by uh, by this band. And that video will sell you, I think, on the band. If you like that, if you like that song, you'll like the whole album. Uh, it's definitely like the the showstopper that song is but all across the album it's it's nonstop. i think the album's pretty short it's only about 38 minutes uh and it's like 11 different tracks but again it's like just the greatest horns sort of celebratory just rocking 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 kind of kind of kind of sound i need never get old is the opener and it's really good there's another one that's called uh Trying so hard not to know, and I think that's probably my favorite on the album. But anyway, check it out. Those guys are great. How long have they been around? Uh, Their first album just came out like maybe a year ago. Uh, Oh, wow. I think, I think, uh, I I heard about them a little while back, but the reason that I went ahead and got the album was I DVR'd them on on Austin City Limits. They were on not too long ago uh, alongside another guy named Leon Russell, or not Leon Russell, he's old, uh, Leon Bridges, uh, who's another just awesome, awesome, like up and coming brand new soul guy. And that was also a good show. Uh, you know, the 30 minute front end, but the Nathaniel Rateliff and the Night Sweats, they just, they just burned the place down. That's a killer band name too. Yeah. It's yeah. good, man. You played a little when bit of it. When you first told us about it, I thought you said meat sweats, and I was very confused. <laughs> Man, there is nothing more terrible than the meat sweats. <laughs> terrible and yet strangely satisfying, right? Yeah, it's good. You feel so full. Josh. <laughs> I have a one thing. Do it. I watched Bone Tomahawk on Amazon Prime this past week. Uh, this is a Western film. Uh, came out last year, directed and written by S. Craig Zoller, starring Kurt Russell, Patrick Wilson, Matthew Fox, Richard Jenkins, Lily Simmons, David Arquette, Sid Haig is in this one, and Sean Young. And this is a, uh, a pretty good Western. It's kind of a slow burn at first that builds to a fever pitch. Um, and I think were Robert E. Howard alive today, he would really dig this, this film quite a bit. It's, it's definitely got that uh, civilization versus barbarism okay. uh, trope that, that we know so well. And the, uh, the Native Americans, the, the, uh, uh, the, I'm hesitant to, hesitant to even call them Native Americans. John, I know you've seen this movie as well. Uh, no, the Native the, Americans in the movie don't even claim the, the things. Yeah, no, they're, the they're troglodytes. like, they're troglodytes, right? They're, they're like fallen or devolved, almost like Howard's Picts in a way. Oh, cool. Yeah. And, they, they, and they're terrifying. And, uh, it, it's, it's a movie 
about uh, those those things kidnapping a woman and the the party uh, search party goes out to try and get her back. It mainly stars Kurt Russell's mutton jobs. It mainly does, yeah. But I'll tell you what, Matthew Fox in this movie is incredible. I, I like his performances a lot. He's not in a whole lot of stuff. I want to wholeheartedly recommend this, but I do feel like I need to say, if you don't much like gore, the second half of this film might be pretty hard for you to watch. So watch this movie with that disclaimer. And if you are a little queasy um, and you don't like that kind of thing, then maybe turn your head away or uh, you know get the... Remote control ready to press stop. <laughs> it was the history behind it is also pretty cool. Like if you just like reading about production history, it was almost a movie that starred Kurt Russell, Timothy Oliphant, and uh, the vampire guy. Uh, uh, he's from like the vampire show. What was it called? True Blood. True Blood. That guy's, yeah. Is it the werewolf from True Blood? No, I don't know. He's got like a Swedish name. Oh, yeah. That guy. Yeah, he was almost in it as well. So okay. Could have been even better. I can I can see who you're talking about, but I can't think of his name. I don't know. Yeah, Swedish name guy. Yep, <laughs> from True Blood. Anyway, uh, check out Bone Tomahawk. It is streaming on Amazon Prime, but I do not think that it is available on Netflix. And I'm not sure about Hulu. I don't, I don't know. So those are three things. We put them all together in a segment we call One Day. And we're back, and we're going to talk about a film tonight. We haven't talked about many films on the show, but tonight we're going way back to a silent film. Yeah, this is like some nice aged roast beef <laughs> or, or some other type of uh, nice red meat that's been sitting in the, the cold storage for a while. Mm -hmm. Drying. If, <clears throat> if only there was some way for us to reenact a silent film as a podcast, but... That's not really doable for us. It might be. We just need to find some of that music and just play it. <laughs> we got to be uber expressive with our uh, with our faces yep. and our hands. Yeah. We got to gesticulate. Yep. Uh, so we have The Lost World tonight. This is based on a novel written by Arthur Conan Doyle that was released in 1912, I believe. And then the movie came out in 25, right? That's right. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. so there, was, there was a good deal of time between the release of the novel and the release of the movie. And I... I hazard to guess just from the research that I've done for tonight that the movie actually has more of a lasting impact than the book. Those, those dinosaurs that we're going to talk about, you've seen them like yeah. <laughs> somewhere on, on some other television screen in the background of another, you know, of, of another movie or show that you've been watching or just, just somewhere you've seen them. For sure. I believe you've seen Jurassic world or Jurassic park, the lost world. You saw the modern interpretation of this movie, basically. You yeah. shut your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> we, we as a group, as the three of us, haven't talked about that new movie. No, not no, Jurassic no, World. The second one. The second oh, 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 yeah. Okay, okay, okay. Oh, that's the it's Lost. It's called Jurassic Park, The Lost World. Whoa, yeah. whoa, whoa, big yeah. boy. Whoa. Sorry, whoa, sorry. Big, whoa, big dog. <laughs> <laughs> Jurassic World? Uh, Luke doesn't like Jurassic World. <laughs> Let's not talk about Jurassic World. <laughs> This is like this is like a repeat of the last recording. Like my my hatred of anything fun, right? <laughs> it's better to not that's talk. Not, I don't think that's what we settled on. That was the insinuation. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's get back on task. Um, <laughs> Uncomfortable. <laughs> but, so before we jump into the movie, let's talk about Arthur Conan Doyle because without him, this movie wouldn't have existed, right? John, what do we know about mustache. what do we know about ACD? He's got a great mustache. He does have a great mustache. He's a British man. Yeah, he's he was born in Scotland. 
he was knighted. Seems that way. Better known like, for uh, for 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 Sherlock Holmes and Doctor Watson, right? I would say so. He initially uh, studied medicine at the University of Edinburgh before he became an author. And I found a, a cool tidbit about him. He published an article as an academic called Galsemium as a Poison. And this is an article about a really rare plant that has a, a certain phytotoxin, a plant toxin within it. And this toxin was used to uh, murder somebody in 2013. Holy and, crap. Yeah. And the, uh, the investigators actually used Arthur Conan Doyle's write-up of this plant and the toxin and its effects to solve the, the mystery. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> huh. Yeah. So ACD, completely relevant in our modern age. Yeah, he's had a huge effect on pop culture, right? I mean, Sherlock Holmes, obviously, and then this Lost World stuff. Uh, he was just a really cool guy. That medical school training he got was where he was exposed to – I can't remember his mentor's name, but his mentor was supposedly semi the inspiration for for Sherlock Holmes. He had some of the same uh, traits in terms of attitude and, and build. And, and voice. He sort of cast himself as, as uh, Watson. The sort of incompetent. Oh, okay. Not as smart, but could put things together if given time kind of guy. Because uh, this, this mentor of his was really smart. Um, he was also a big mystic guy, right? That's really right. into the occult. Yeah, he believed uh, strongly that there was a way for us to contact uh, the deceased and, and get glimpses of the afterlife. He was so convinced in lots of different paranormal phenomena that no one could get him to see that you know, you shouldn't really believe everything completely blindly. Uh, evidently, he was friends with Harry Houdini. And uh, Houdini was kind of a skeptic, right, during this time. Yeah, yeah. Trying to, I guess, disprove these notions of seances and things like that. Mm -hmm. And there's this interesting story that I came across where uh, Houdini evidently came to Arthur Conan Doyle's home and did a, a really elaborate, impressive magic trick for him. And uh, just to show him that you shouldn't endorse beliefs just because you don't understand uh, or aren't able to explain them. And Arthur Conan Doyle refused to believe that that magic trick was an illusion. He, he thought that Houdini had magic powers and he was just trying to, to hide them. Which, you know, if you've got somebody who believes something that strongly, there's just no reasoning with them. Right. Sometimes. We have this connection between Doyle and Houdini. We have uh, just... Uh, three degrees of separation between Arthur Conan Doyle and Robert E. Howard. Conan Doyle was friends with Houdini, who uh, wrote a couple of stories with H.P. Lovecraft, who, as we know, uh, corresponded with Robert E. Howard quite a bit. Awesome. Yeah. So, you know, <laughs> this, cool. this is completely relevant to our podcast. And so, yeah, Arthur Conan Doyle was really into the paranormal and the unexplained. And but, John, yet, but yet was a man of science. Yeah, too. he was. A, well, <laughs> it's, it's interesting. He's a man of, of, of logic and reason, it would seem. Like Sherlock Holmes certainly is. So Doyle must have some of that in him. But I don't really know. I don't know how much of that was fictional. You know, yeah. how much of that was a put on and how much of himself he put into that character. Because it seems like John said that he was really basing that character of Holmes on on someone else. Yeah. And, you know, I guess thinking about that, if he if he had these deep seated, uh, like, like just infallible faith in the, the face of something that's 
a little bit suspect. <laughs> like when the person doing something is saying, hey, I'm not do- really doing this, you know. Yeah. Then there must be some level of non-reason that's operating within his head, too. Yeah, for sure. John, you brought up these uh, these photos of the fairies that he uh, often quoted as, as being evidence of the paranormal. Yeah, he was a big supporter of the – was it in Scotland that the fairies appeared? Yeah, I think it's Scotland. The Cottingly fairy photos mm-hmm. are what yeah. you're talking about. So it was these little girls, and they went out, and they had these paper doll fairies, and they took these series of photographs. And as modern people, we look at them, and we're just like, yeah, these are clearly – paper dolls that are fairies that are just out sitting in a landscape. But people saw them at the time back in the night, early 1900s and they flipped their lid. They thought these things were real. They thought these girls were communicating and, and hanging out with fairies and Conan Doyle was one of their biggest supporters. And I guess I, I've always wondered about Do- Doyle in terms of, I think he is a scientific guy, but he also has a lot of convictions for this stuff. It must've been an exciting time, right? Like we talk about, this period of history and there's always these weird and interesting pseudosciences and pseudo histories that are coming out and they all had reasons to believe in some of them. I don't want to like just discredit him and say he was a kook, but it, it must've been an interesting and exciting time to hear about those things and wonder about them. Don't you think Josh? I think so. And to your point there, one thing that sort of came about at this age of, of scientific uh, discovery of uh, archaeology and of uh, paleontology was the Piltdown Man hoax. I'm not familiar with what the, the Piltdown Man is. So what was that all about? Uh, the Piltdown Man is a uh, a famous or, or I guess infamous paleontological discovery that was found somewhere, I think, around Sussex in England. And it was a skull, a ske- most of a skeleton of a a uh, human-like animal with a uh, very ape-like jaw. Oh, okay. And so, you know, think about this point in our history um, on the origin of species is only about 60 years old. And there have been, you know, decades of review about and debate about evolution. And we're still sort of uh, looking for these transitional forms within right. – uh, the fossil record. And then lo and behold, there's this uh, human-like skeleton that obviously walked upright but has an, a very ape-like lower jaw. Well, it turns out that the Piltdown Man was a hoax. And someone had taken a, a relatively recent human skull and attached an orangutan's jawbone to it. Oh, okay. And so... Uh, there were many years, many decades of argument about whether this was a real thing or not. Um, but evidently Arthur Conan Doyle is somewhat implicated in this whole Piltdown Man hoax. Like the creation of it? The creation of it. And so evidently he had some, some grievances against scientists because everyone was busying themselves about debunking, uh, spiritualism, um, and things like that, things that Conan Doyle really took to heart. And so there is evidently a wink to this in the Lost World novel. There, there's a, a sequence in chapter five, pretty early on in the chapter, where our character, Mr. Malone, and another character named McArdle are having a conversation about whether this Lost World could even be real. Malone says, well, what about these bones, these fossils, these bones that they've brought back from the Lost World? 
And McArdle responds and says, first, first one out of an Irish stew, second one vamped up for the occasion. If you are clever and know your business, you can fake a bone as easily as you can a photograph. And so a lot of people sort of take that as a wink and a nod by Arthur Conan Doyle in his novel, which came out the same year that the Piltdown Man was discovered in 1912. Mm. Uh-oh. Yeah, the plot thickens. So perhaps ACD may have been uh, privy to, or at least part of that hoax. That's but, a funky fellow, man. Yeah, I mean, he is <laughs> a funky fellow. There's a, there are a few really short YouTube clips of him being interviewed uh-huh. uh, that we should post in our show notes. And I have one final note about uh, the man himself. He evidently died of a heart attack in age 71. They found him in the hall of his home. And uh, according to Wikipedia, his last known words were to his wife. He left her in their bed chambers and he told her, you were wonderful. And I don't know why, man, but that, that really made me... That made me a little misty-eyed. How how sad, sad is that? It's yeah. really damn sad. He 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 must have really must have really loved his wife. Been a family man, and he left us with this rich pop culture legacy. Uh, part of which we're going to talk about tonight, this very moment, right now. <laughs> <laughs> so get ready. I guess let's just talk about the movie itself and and see how see how things go. So we're basically dealing with, I guess, one of the first science fiction films, right? Yeah. It's a, it's a silent movie. It's black and white. Josh, in your notes, you have the score is awesome. The, the version yeah. that I watched, the score was certainly really, really great. Uh, you know, you can, you can really get the, the gist of the plot. You know, a lot of people, whenever you talk about a silent movie, you think, that's a little bit nonsensical, but you know, generally the acting in these things, it's so like theatrical and on the nose. You can tell <laughs> the gist of the story, even without a lot of this little placards that pop up with the, the dialogue occasionally. Uh, but it's, it's a, it's a black and white silent lost world movie. It's the, the beginning of it all, right? We get dinosaurs out in the middle of the Amazon. Yeah. The, uh- the only source material older than this in this genre, I guess, would be Journey to the Center of the Earth. What about the moon movie? The moon the movie. Shot to the movie. Or the shot to the moon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's true. But I, we have some science fiction before this. I mean, I believe Nosferatu might be before this as well. But but it's part of a proud early tradition. For it, sure. it is the the what is it is the film that establishes the lost world genre and a lot of the tropes that you find within that genre. And um, not only that, it served as an inspiration to many other filmmakers. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Without this movie, we wouldn't have had King Kong. I think without this film, without King Kong and the dinosaurs in that film, we'll be discussing that next time. Um we wouldn't have a lot of the dinosaur films that we eventually got culminating. I think that in the pinnacle of the dinosaur movie genre in Jurassic park, not Jurassic world, Luke, (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Jurassic world. (laughs) Uh, But to Luke's point, like the acting, yeah, you expect some, some very theatrical acting Wallace Beery, who played uh, professor challenger, won the Academy award for best actor in 1939 for the champ. Bessie love who played Paula white. The, the love interest was nominated for best actress in 1929 for the Broadway melody. And uh, Lewis Shepard stone, uh, who I think was the hunter, Okay. The big game hunter in the film was nominated for best actor for the, the Patriot in 1929. And okay. Mel Gibson. 
1929 <laughs> version, I guess. And uh, even- Roxton. I keep wanting to call that guy Rex. Roxton. Like in my head. That's like Roxton is a is a great big game hunter kind of name. The the incredible thing is that all of these actors successfully bridged this gap between the silent film and the talkies, right? And were very successful in both worlds. Um so I just I I think, yeah, you're right. The 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 acting is you know, you expect some theatricalness to it. Uh but these these guys and ladies knew what they were doing. Yeah. And this is, you know, this is a pretty sciencey movie. You guys mentioned, uh, well, John mentioned the, the movie, uh, with the, it's actually called a trip to the moon. Okay. Le Voyage dans la lune. Uh, you know, that has a lot of the common elements with the the proto man, the regressive kind of character that we're going to talk about. Uh, like the, the devolved kind of character. There's like the sea, the Selenites or whatever in that, that trip to the moon. But, but basically talking about the Cro-Magnon kind of like the, the Howardian kind of character, right? The Piltdown man. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it's kind of cool though, that here, like this is a movie that's so all about the, the science, like from the very, the very opening scenes, it's at the university and there's, uh, there's this one guy that's talking heresy, right? Professor Challenger. He's a pretty that's that's a pretty badass name, right? <laughs> what did you guys yeah. think of Professor Challenger? I thought he looked like Karl Marx. <laughs> <laughs> I guess <laughs> I think he's a cool character. I mean, I don't know. I haven't read any of the original Holmes stories, uh, but the little bit of research that I did do about these various characters, I think it's cool that that Professor Challenger is this. Uh, clearly a smart scientific figure, but at the same time, kind of the flip side to Sherlock Holmes. Like he's not cool. He's not collected. He's this big, he's this big brawny, like, like, uh, you know, bear of like fury and yeah, he's passion. He's just like, you'd almost want to like, if you were to see him on the screen now, he would be like this big red face blustery kind of character. Yeah, I, I read that in other movies. He's played by John Rice Davies, and I think oh, spot on casting. Yeah, yeah. that is spot on. Uh, yeah, I dug uh, Professor Challenger in this a lot. And I so wish that we could be that academic, like that, that we could be that guy, the the big brawny. Uh, well, I mean, we're big. We're all big guys. <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, we're kind of we're kind of living the uh, dream, dude. Yep, that's us. Whole, we have beards. The whole academic scene that we see at the beginning, right? There's a there's a coleopterist. And there's Professor Challenger and there's all these people. And they're all like, oh, he's so full of horse feathers. Like, what's he talking about dinosaurs? And all these students show up to heckle him. And I I watched as he talked to this sea of humanity. And I thought, I wish I could give a lecture that that many people had to show up. Because there was nothing on TV that night. Right. It was kind of amazing. I think all you have to do is tell everybody that you're going to provide evidence of dinosaurs. That's true. That would probably get people. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, because there's no like the press can't even get into this 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 meeting, right? This no, he beats on campus. Yeah. yeah, he tell he tells <laughs> him to he doesn't want any yeah. reporters there, which is uh, much to uh, our hero Malone's uh, detriment. Yeah, tenure got you a lot <laughs> back then. <laughs> <laughs> you can beat the hell out of a reporter with like zero consequences. He chased him out of the building and down the road. But eventually Malone, the reporter, says, look, I'll accompany you on this trip. I'm a reporter. I'll write about it. I'll be, uh, you know, I'll, I'll be fair and honest and I won't, I won't make fun of you. Essentially is what he says. And 
Challenger sees the the benefit of that. He's ready to believe him. But the other reason that <laughs> that Malone wants to go is because he's engaged or at least dating this lady who won't marry him with, <laughs> un- unless he does something manly, right? Yeah. And which we've all gone through, all right? I mean, we've all had that challenge. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Yeah, you have the physical and mental challenges. And they never seem to end. <laughs> Oh, um, but any anyway. week, folks, try the veal. <laughs> <laughs> Dude. Hey, um, I like it, John. Like the ties come off, the, the, the jacket, the collar's a little bit loose. You've adjusted your collar. He's like uh, drinking sipping some whiskey. He's warming up. He's a little Sinatra. Right. Let's remember at this point in our world's history, much of the Earth had not been explored. By uh, people by, of the white skin. By <laughs> white men. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there were people there. there. Well, yes, there were people there. But uh, the they Europeans had never been there. That's true. Yeah, they haven't published. You, you publish or you perish, That's, right? I, yeah, you're telling me, man. You got me there. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like this has become a lamentation. Of <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, we're part of it, so we can we can lament as much as we want. Much of the world had not been explored by Europeans. Yeah. And so it is, it is very exciting. On one hand, you're finding lots of dinosaur bones and you're learning more about the history of the earth. Yeah. You're, you're finding these out about these civilizations that you had no idea about. And so it's, it's really a cool time to be a scientist, to be an archaeologist, to be a, an explorer. And Professor Challenger is all of these things. Like he, he is the essence of science and, uh, <laughs> imperialism i guess uh in, in a sense yeah it's like a weird mix of like of indiana jones i mean indiana jones is like that straight up pulp like icon right but it's really that period of time in our in our history where that's that's going down like you can be the adventuring scientist and you know go chase after some fossils lots of stuff like that going on at this time uh percy fawcett was doing all that right at this around this time. He was looking for the lost city of Z in the jungles of Brazil oh. and sort of where we're talking about in this story, I think. And uh, Wallace and Bates uh, did uh, some some naturalisty type exploration in the Amazon. And Bates comes back and writes the naturalist on the river Amazons. And this is, you know, I think uh, 1870s uh-huh. maybe. And, uh, Conan Doyle reads that and he's like, oh my God, I, I want to, if I can't go, I want to at least have my characters go on a trip like that. Yeah. Yeah. I pulled out, like before we started recording, I went, you know, over into my, to my, my son's room and pulled out my old Ranger Rick, like dinosaur book <laughs> that, that was like from the eighties, but there's like uh, a one specific page that I wanted to check out. And it's, it's basically about the great dinosaur bone hunting of like the late 1800s and how you've got like these warring factions of scientists that were sabotaging one another's efforts. They were, and this was like in the Western United States, right? Like in Montana and whatnot. Uh, it's kind of crazy to think about what was going on, even like in the hinterlands of, of Amazonia, right? Or like in the Congo, <laughs> right? Yeah. Is, is this around the time that Theodore Roosevelt does his Amazonian expedition and comes back and writes about all that weird stuff that he saw? So that would have been a little bit later, right? 
Because that well, would have been... lost in 1912, so he would. I thought he did it pretty soon after that. Okay. Oh, okay. So okay. So, yeah. Same decade. I mean, that's yeah. About as professor Challenger as you can get, right? That's true. Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. Within the context, yeah, of when this when the story happened, yeah, 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 for sure. So we got our our intrepid party, uh, Professor Challenger, uh, Malone, the reporter. I can't think of the uh, the big game hunter's name. I didn't write it down. Roxton. Roxton, right? John Roxton. Sexy Rexy. <laughs> Um, and <laughs> sexy Rexy is an old man, which I think is funny. Like when he's kind of putting the, putting the seduction on Paula, you can tell she's a little bit skeezed out. Yeah. He's hey, like, baby, I shot a tiger before. What's up? <laughs> What's up? <laughs> she's like, Malone is, you know, 20 years, your your junior and he's a reporter. I've explored the Indian Kush. <laughs> <laughs> if you know what I mean. If you know what I mean. So, yeah, we've got our our party and we go to S- South America and it does fast forward. It's like moments later. Holy crap, we're in the jungle. And it would have taken months. They got the they, the sweet newspaper sort of segue, right? Like, yeah. Expedition embarks. They may never return. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so we're chopping through the jungle and, and really it's pretty easy. Um, we see some some jungle creatures. They see right? sloth. Contemporary jungle creatures. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the sloth was cool. I'm a big fan of sloths. Uh, you know, we see some big constrictors and and things like that. Some some pretty cool birds. And eventually we see that iconic plateau. In the distance. In the distance. Uh, the same plateau that they used in the movie Up. Oh. Yeah. So Up is essentially a retelling of <laughs> The Lost World. My mind's blown. Yeah, there you go. And up on that plateau... There are dinosaurs. Of course. Of course there are. Um, so this is the the lost world of uh, that Professor Challenger wants to reach. And they see there's a brontosaurus. There's well, a pterodactyl. Yeah, the pterodactyl, I think, is the first one, the first uh, ancient life form that they encounter. Not a dinosaur. Pterodactyls were not dinosaurs, technically. Dinosaurs are a very specific clade of right. vertebrates. And right. pterodactyls are not Technically dinosaurs. There's my science nerd moment for the night. I like it. <laughs> but they, they do scramble up on the plateau and they, they are going to cross a log that Paula's dad has felled that they used as a bridge. And as they get across it, a brontosaurus grabs it with its neck muscles and is like, yo, see ya. And like knocks it down into <laughs> the bottom of the ravine. Right? Yep. That's true. And, and now they're trapped. Just and, like Paula's dad. and they're like, well, I guess we live here now. And that is a scene. That's a scene that we need to keep fresh in our minds for the next film that we watch. The brontosaurus. No, not necessarily the brontosaurus, but crossing a chasm on a bridge and a giant creature doing things to prevent you from crossing that log. Ah, Ah, let's keep that in mind. But after that, they begin to see the wonders that that are there to behold. Right? There's there's allosauruses. As the carnivore that are attacking the brontosauruses, there's other pterodactyls and stuff, and they're all just in awe of this dinosaur diorama that's in front of them. Dude, I Triceratops was- mama with baby? That's uh-huh. right, Triceratops mama. <laughs> St- Stegosaurus, right? Yeah. The The interesting thing I remember reading about this movie is that Conan Doyle had like a sizzle reel of it. He had some of the claymation stuff of the, the brontosauruses, <laughs> and it, I don't, they didn't have Comic-Con back in the day, but at some event... He showed these dinosaurs like hanging out 
and everybody was like, holy, holy crap, dinosaurs oh, yeah. are around. They bought it like they thought it was real. Yeah, he took that to, I believe, a paranormal society that, that Houdini was a member of. <laughs> and he said, ladies and gentlemen, I have found dinosaurs and I have video footage of them. Roll the clip. And <laughs> and they rolled the clip and they played the special effects from The Lost World. And then he says, try and debunk that, bitches. <laughs> <laughs> and drops the mic. And then the New York Times writes an article that, right. says, that says, Arthur Conan Doyle has film footage of dinosaurs. What is this? We don't know if it's real. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like the gravitational waves thing. It, right it is. Now. Well, it is just like B.O.B., that rapper, and the flat earth stuff that is happening now. <laughs> 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 that's another topic so the point of the expedition one is to rescue major apple white or what what's his name i, th- I think it is apple white so, something like that no no it's not apple white hold maple, on maple what maple something and uh and also to sort of bring back evidence of these dinosaurs but first and foremost they're there to rescue this other guy and that's why they brought rocks in right luke yeah yeah so so they, but it strikes me though that the challenger he just wants that vindication. He's like, see, 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 like I'm not, I'm not full of shit, you know. <laughs> There's the dinosaurs, exactly. Um, and and he he concocts a plan later that will uh, prove to be pretty disastrous. <laughs> <laughs> this movie, in addition to the dinosaurs, introduces like we've we've discussed earlier some member of the hominid family tree, some early ancestor of. Of humans, right? Some some human that is more ape-like than man-like, which is another trope from Howard's stuff that, you know, it's 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 pretty cool. And it makes me wonder if Howard saw this film. It, it's very possible, right? Did he like the movies? I think he, like he popcorn? I think he did enjoy the movies. I'm not sure about popcorn, but he liked beer. <laughs> I just tortilla chips. You know, this movie I we're getting into the realm of discussion that I don't really that I don't know much about. And I guess that's just like how early film played out, like with these black and whites. But, you know, how easy was it to see this movie? Like, I, I'm looking at the box office here on Wikipedia and it made over a million bucks. So it was like a blockbuster. It made like 10 times, like over 10 times its initial, <laughs> like, investment. Isn't that proportionally? Proportionally, that's more than The Force Awakens made. <laughs> I, I think The Lost World made more. Money per capita than the Force Awakens, but like that's how the dinosaurs? Yo. Oh, that's true. How easy was it to go like see this? You know. Well, I do know that this was the first film that was shown on an airline. Yep, I'm seeing which, that. Yeah, which tells me that it it must have been pretty easy to take as long as you had power. Mm-hmm. You you just you just needed the the film canisters and the whatever else like the projector <laughs> the, the yeah. equipment yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> the, so, the gear the gear so my but, gear works bro but i don't know i don't know <laughs> if he would have been able to see this in cross planes I, I don't have any idea but it would be interesting to know if howard saw this movie because there are so many elements that i could see I him pulling from yeah beta max i think beta, <laughs> i think beta max was what people had back then howard i think the bigger question is would 1925 version of luke liked this movie <laughs> dude are you kidding i would love this he, yeah he would have eaten this up <clears throat> i can't even talk to you <laughs> <laughs> he just doesn't want to talk about the the jurassic world okay back on back on this tr- has this has more intellectual sophistication than the jurassic world <laughs> You're, you are correct in that matter. Yeah. Yeah. that's probably true um 
could do with more Arnold Schwarzenegger. Could could do with uh, well, we had some pretty good dinosaur fights actually, and the dinosaur animation was really great. And the key there is actual. It really holds up. The key... <laughs> you are seething. <laughs> I am. My blood pressure. I can feel it going up. Why? So. It's a, we're not gonna. We're, we're reviewing the Lost World right now. Oh, because you're thinking of Jurassic. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you've made him mad. Sorry. <laughs> you've, you've, you've summoned something that we can't control. <laughs> you guys are gonna hear me rip my headphones off. <laughs> John, you son of a bitch, <laughs> and I'm out. <laughs> Is it Chris Pratt? Do you just not like him? No, or? I like Pratt. Yeah, we would hang. He would be cool on the show. Maybe we'll return cool to this like as a little postscript. Maybe. <laughs> so. To, to, we just said that the animation of this actually is pretty good and, and still looks pretty impressive. Like yeah. as far as stop motion, this was the first heavy use of stop motion animation by the team of Willis O'Brien and Marcel Delgado. They did the stop motion also on the next film that we're going to talk about. And that is King Kong. And I think that this technique eventually was perfected by Ray Harryhausen. And without these films, without The Lost World and King Kong, I wonder what the world would have been like. Like without them, without Harryhausen and the, the incredible influence uh, that he had on special effects. Just what the, would the world be like? And I, I don't think it's a world that I want to live in. Mm-mm. So we're in this lost world. We've got dinosaurs running around. We've got eight men. We're stuck up on this plateau. How do we get down? How do we get down? Well, we we hope that a monkey climbs up the, the side of the plateau and brings us a rope, right? So we're seeing all the all these dinosaurs fight one another. We see the uh, brontosaurus fall from the plateau. The, the, I think those are the important parts, right? Like they keep cowering in caves and sort of watching these dinosaur fights, and that's the important thing for cinema's history that these dinosaurs go and bust each other up. Yeah. Yeah, for this sure. Is, this is proto Godzilla right here, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, for sure. And so we've got a, a brontosaurus that has fallen off, and we also have a volcanic eruption that happens. Oh, that yeah. Causes, very timely. Very yeah, timely. Very timely indeed, because we're trying to escape. Um, it causes these these herds of dinosaurs to just stampede all over the place. But luckily, our heroes get out and away from this plateau, and they have. In in their possession, a brontosaurus. I like how we totally lo- like. Who cares about the humans at this point, right? Like, it's well, all dinosaurs. I mean, we we have clearly we have some some uh, emotional character development, right? Like our reporter is falling in love with Paula. We have some character development, but Roxton really has some unrequited love. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But but we really don't have a lot, I think, in terms of <laughs> in terms of really deep emotional character development here. I mean, this is a straight up like fun action movie at this point. I yeah. mean, you get like the hubris of of uh, of Challenger, right? Like he's gonna bring the dinosaur back and show everybody, and he doesn't stop. Challenger's to think. got his dinosaur. That's what matters. <laughs> he didn't stop to think if he should. <laughs> <laughs> and that's that's what science is. Uh, you were so busy thinking about if you could, you didn't stop to think this. You should. That's from Jurassic Park. I know right? it's really yeah. okay. Right, okay, I just wanted to make sure I wasn't making that. Is, up. Yeah, that's Ian Malcolm. I think. <laughs> okay, uh, Jeff Goldblum. Jeff Effin Goldblum, the fly, the fly himself. So yeah, we we go back to London with Challenger, and he holds another public forum, and he's going to prove once and for all. Not not even – there is no scientific hypothesis here. He's just 
Remember earlier when I said I thought there were dinosaurs in South America and you all laughed at me? Well, get ready because they're bringing a brontosaurus right here. And everyone's like, you're insane. That's but we'll, what I like about science in the early 1900s. It was like, I say this and then I go and find that thing and I show it to all of you. And now you all believe me. <laughs> and and you, you can, we can start the ass kissing with you in the front row. <laughs> so something goes wrong, though. Like the brontosaurus does not want to cooperate. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> they drop it's great. And it just tumbles into the river, right? The well, most important scientific discovery <laughs> of the last a thousand years. Foiled by a faulty crane. So, yeah, it is running amok in downtown London. <laughs> a brontosaurus. John sent us a message of one of those uh, text panels. Professor Challenger saying something. What was it he said, John? My brontosaurus has escaped. Stay off the streets until we recapture it. <laughs> that's, that's pretty accurate. Yeah, done the whole show in old radio voices. <laughs> that would have been good. That would have been hard to maintain. So yeah, Challenger is aghast that his the the discovery of the century is now just destroying downtown London. It's slipping through his hands. But everybody's seeing it. That is true, yeah. <laughs> it, it. Uh and it's it's a little too bad because Challenger said, I brought a brontosaurus back, and then suddenly there's a brontosaurus tearing up the city. He's and, like, oh, that's not my brontosaurus. Yeah, oh no, that one's not mine. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I like the culmination of this, like the the climax here. What do you guys think? <laughs> that was pretty funny. <laughs> so yeah. this brontosaurus tears up some buildings, tries to cross London Bridge, <laughs> and then what happens? It drowns or something, right? Yeah, London Bridge is falling down. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Challenger just stands there like all aghast, like, oh, how could this be happening to me? I don't think it really drowns though. I think it swims yeah, away. Yeah, it it pulls a like a new age Godzilla, and it's like, yep, waves to everybody and walks into the ocean. He's the he's the hero we need whenever it's time. That's true. Yeah, <laughs> he'll be back whenever there are threats extraterrestrial. <laughs> Supersaurus gonna get back here. So the brontosaurus goes out into the ocean. Yep, and they've they've released untold horrors on. <laughs> onto the planet. Cloverfield. <laughs> <laughs> but but. The good news is our reporter is ditched by his horrible girlfriend who sent him off on this terrible adventure he might have died on in the first place. And he gets with the the beautiful Paula. Yeah, yeah. Get a little... Uh, that subplot is clearly the most important part. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, th- I felt like we should talk about it to give it some closure. We should. Malone deserves it. Yeah. yeah. Paula and uh, Mr. Malone, they're going to make... They're going to make a good couple. Sweet, sweet love. And fade Dying out. Love. Yeah. Fade to black. And then, then like the heavy metal after a song. Nick Fury shows up in the stinger after. Yeah, yeah, I didn't, I didn't stick around for the shit. Professor Challenger goes back to his, to his room and he's still angry. <laughs> about the brontosaurus and he turns the light on and nick fury is standing there <laughs> i've talked to you about the avengers i've wanted to talk to you about the avengers initiative yeah that's, it would be the league of extraordinary <laughs> gentlemen initiative sean connery is there that's true oh my <laughs> god yes challenger <laughs> league of extraordinary gentlemen dude that's great that was great <laughs> holy holy crap we have him here with us today night or Today night. Tonight, today night. You're, you're so nervous to talk to him. I've got a little bit of buzz. I can't talk to Sean Connery. I got to get a little bit drunker. 
<laughs> That's wonderful. Well, actually, don't they use the Lost World in? Didn't Alan Moore use the Lost World as a, a plot device in um, the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen comic books? There, it's part of the one of the backgrounds. Yeah, you see some some mention of it. Yeah. Okay. So, what did we think of the movie? Oof. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it. You know, as a modern person, it's hard to watch one of these old timey films. I think, uh, but it is a lot of fun once you really get into it. And if you've been drinking, I agree. I, I actually I didn't drink while I watched this movie. I was I was trying to engage with it, and like you said, it was kind of hard to to dig into yeah. at first. And I my other mistake was watching it kind of late at night, and so I had to watch it in a couple of <laughs> a couple. <laughs> did of you pieces. fall asleep watching? It? I did fall asleep watching. I that. did the same thing too. At about the twenty minute mark, I was like nodding off, and so about the time that they showed the sloth, I had to. Start it back up from there. Yeah. <laughs> like, read. Luckily, this, well, I mean, the, the music is, it, it's pretty, it's pretty good. I think um, it's, it's kind of mellow in parts. It does. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's kind of, it's, it's, well, it's not kind of noticeable. It is noticeable by that. Like once it's dinosaur time, it really picks up and it's bombastic. Sure. But like the first 20 minutes, it's that it's, it's almost like what you hear with like, the old universal horror movies like Dracula or mm-hmm. whatnot. Mm-hmm. That, like that song. <laughs> <laughs> that, that old movie song. Yeah. So, yeah, it was it was tough to engage with, but I enjoyed it. I, I wish that I had watched it like on a Saturday afternoon, I think. Luke? I, I, I liked it, you know, for all of the reasons that we've mentioned here. Like, it's <laughs> – I wish that we could have watched – one of the more recent incarnations of this movie. I think that would be a fun, like, redux, and I would be up for doing that down the road if you guys want to. I'd be up for doing that, too. That was actually something I wanted to bring up. I remember when I was a kid, there was a TV show of The Lost World, and there were reruns, like, in the middle of of the day that I would watch when I was sick. And I remember learning about Professor Challenger, and I don't know who who had the show. I can't remember who starred in it, but it was... It was fun for ten year old, eleven year old John to watch. Yeah, I I never knew about this show until we started doing research for this episode. But as a kid, I watched Land of the Lost, mm-hmm. uh, both the old incarnation and the reboot of it. That TV show owes a lot to this movie. I'm looking here. There's there's various audio versions of this too that could be really cool. Okay, uh, the nineteen 19- sixty do an audio book. <laughs> that would be fun. The the 1960 film has Claude Rains as a uh, as Professor Challenger. He's the uh, Invisible Man, right? Yeah, that's yeah. true. That could be cool. One thing that I was thinking about here, I'm teaching a class this semester uh, about science and society, and I I kept thinking about the fact that people, a lot of people, believe that dinosaurs and people lived at the same time, and I think. Movies like this sort of reinforce that. When you see a person and a dinosaur on the screen at the same time, even the Flintstones reinforces this notion that people and dinosaurs oh, yeah. were around at the same time. When the reality is uh, not all dinosaurs lived at the same time, and certainly men uh, and women, humans, modern humans, did not live at the same time that dinosaurs did. Homo whatevers yeah, exactly. weren't around when dinosaurs were doing their thing. Not even Neanderthals. Yeah. Um, not even mammals. Not like, even well, <laughs> like the precursors of what would be mammals were popping up, and by the Cretaceous, you actually do see 
the arrival of mammals, but like the so-called like age of mammals, the Cenozoic happens like after, you know, dinosaur breakdown. And so I I found a wonderful, uh, really short article on the Smithsonian that explains, it's called On Dinosaur Time. And it's, it's really short. It's really interesting. It's fascinating to delve into this notion of just how long a period of time we're talking about. I mean, you just mentioned the Cretaceous. We're, we're talking about periods of time that last hundreds of millions of years. Right. And to, to get a sense of that, there's a wonderful quote by Darwin in On the Origin of Species that I'll read. It's, it's pretty short. Few of us know what a million really means. My colleague, Mr. Kroll gives the following illustration. Take a narrow strip of paper, 83 feet, 4 inches in length, and stretch it along the wall of a large hall. Then mark off at one end the tenth of an inch. This tenth of an inch will represent 100 years and the entire strip a million. But let it be borne in mind, in relation to the subject of this work, what 100 years implies, represented as it is by a measure utterly insignificant in a hall of the above dimensions. That tiny little segment that he mentions on the end of this 83 foot long strip of paper is a hundred years. That's as far back as you can remember, like the, the history of your family, like to have any sort of documentation, right? Well, it's almost like, as old as this book is, right? Right. That's crazy. It's, it's in a, it, for people, it's, it really is an, a hundred years is a, a really long time. When you're thinking about a million years, it's impossibly long. I mean, it's your it's your grandparents' grandparents, like it's it's generations, right? Yeah. <laughs> is what you get within that period of time. And and so, what comes out in the Smithsonian article is this it really interesting tidbit, and that is that more time separates Tyrannosaurus Rex from Stegosaurus uh, existing on planet Earth than what separates T-Rex from modern humans. Yeah. We are more closely so next door in time <laughs> to the T-Rex, to T-Rex than T-Rex was to Stegosaur. Yeah. So, you know, the when you start thinking about deep time and geologic time, it's easy to throw out, oh, that happened in the Cretaceous. But what does that mean? That's hundreds of millions of years we're talking about. Yeah, it's the biggest hurdle, like when you're teaching or when you're just talking – and thinking about things like like when you're teaching mammalogy, which is something, you know, like we're, all three of us were, were teaching various classes uh, and whatnot. Like to, to try to hammer home that when you look at the phylogenetic tree of mammals, like there's relic upon relic and, and fossil upon fossil of these various mammal groups. Like what you see before you is not all the mammals that ever were, you know. There's that whole fossil record that goes back. <laughs> and that's not overlapping with the dinosaurs. Right. So I bet you all didn't learn think you were gonna learn something. <laughs> they're like, oh man, they they just like jumped into science, all this. They were talking about pulps and then suddenly suddenly science. We haven't even got to the bugs yet. Yeah. <laughs> so is hung out with the Slegosaurus. Yeah, that's true. And that that shit, like super blows your mind, right? To think that, well, oh, then there are these other groups where you have such a persistence and they're like the you know the the least of the least within our current world as far as like human valuation and that kind of thing yeah when you when you start thinking about evolution as howard did it's a directional thing and it's a sliding scale you can evolve or you can devolve and evolution is progress and devolution is is negative progress it doesn't really work that way 
And some organisms like cockroaches are perfectly well suited for their environment yeah. and can face almost any challenge, you know, uh, unhurdled, un- unbridled. Whereas some things like dodos, they, they couldn't handle it, right? Yeah, they're just – They're too delicious. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. So so I have one more like little little mammal thing to mention. Here. Okay. And, cause I, cause, so this, this is something that just sort of blows your mind or – it does mine anyway. Like, like you think about all of the different types of mammals that are across the world. Most mammals are placentals, uh, which means like they have their babies inside them and then they give live birth, right? Uh, but then you also have the crazy like egg egg laying echidnas, right? And then you have the crazy uh, uh, marsupials, which have the pouches, right? Like kangaroos and stuff. And so here in the United States, we have. Uh, the lowly Virginia opossum, which is like the dumbest of the dumb mammal that everybody <laughs> hates and that gets ran over. You know, if you look at the distribution of where the Virginia opossum is found, it's basically throughout Central America, a wide chunk of North America. Like it is this widespread, very distributed, singular representative of the marsupials that's been here for such a long time in the context of lots of placental mammals. And it's it's just a lowly dumb opossum, <laughs> but it's 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 kind of crazy. Like it doesn't get any love, but clearly in an like in an evolutionary sense, it's a uh, it's banging ass. like it's doing its job, right? It's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it is perfectly well suited to do the things that possums do, and it doesn't have to worry about oh well, if only I had this, you know that that's not how evolution works either. Yeah, it it's just doing its thing. And it's good at it. It's quite successful. It's like Wolverine. (laughs) I'm the best at what I do, but. But people really want dinosaurs to still be alive, right? It's not just this idea that we wish the Flintstones was real. We wish that we could go to the Amazon jungle right now. And if we we searched hard enough, we'd find a Leopleurodon. Or we'd find an Iguanodon, right? That there'd be some... Thunder lizard out there for us to encounter. John, I have news for you. Dinosaurs are real, <laughs> and they're called birds. Oh, dude. Well, and yeah, but nobody wants to see a bird. Nobody cares. <laughs> chicken. Thanks, I Sam Neil. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's Fine. the th- here's the thing. So, birds are technically dinosaurs. Modern birds are dinosaurs. The, the chicken that you just do, Josh. I know. I'm, I'm, but here's the th- here's here's what I, here's what I'm building toward. People resist that notion and they further resist the notion that dinosaurs had feathers, right? Right. Like it's, it's, it's pretty well documented in the fossil record that velociraptors had feathers, but a concept like that's a Jurassic world, but (laughs) But that's kind of a consequence of these things like the lost world, right? Exactly. Like, like the notion of what a dinosaur, like a brontosaurus, which of course, like, you know, there's not the brontosaurus, right? But it is the lost world like that's that's what it what it looks like just brought the brontosaurus back oh did they they did oh. like a, a few months ago so it's not the apatosaurus anymore no the, the brontosaurus and the apatosaurus are separated again okay. oh snap okay i i bow down to your dino knowledge so <laughs> uh, that listener mike will tell you all about it i oh, mean he should have called in tonight and told us about dinosaurs <laughs> um this is dino hour with listener. dino mike <laughs> dino mike <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, I remember learning when I was a kid that brontosauruses couldn't stand up 
on oh, land yeah. that they had to live in water. Do you guys right. remember learning mm-hmm. that? And Diplodocus was like the was the same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But evidently not true at all. We learn this, more every day. That's true. This is this has gone kind of far away from its pulp uh, directions. But we hope that you're enjoying this uh, this scientific uh, look at the lost world. Well, this is what you get. Those are integral to pulp. So here's but here's a point though, John. Like uh, with what you with what you were saying though, that people want to find that brontosaurus, right? They want to go out in the Amazon. They want to find that. That's the allure of the of the lost world genre, Absolutely. right? Like that's the you're finding the hidden treasure, whether it's the city made of gold or the dinosaurs, that's there, you know? Yeah. And, and it's that's, not just pulps. It's comics. It's everything. I mean, look at Kazar in the Savage Land and Marvel Comics. Okay. Uh, Atlantis and, and Aquaman and DC Comics. It's just people want there to be this weird thing out there to find and, and that there's dinosaurs in it. They really want to see a dinosaur. That's my impression of humanity. <laughs> if, they, if if you were an alien and you came to Earth and you had to write a report about what humans really <laughs> wanted, you'd be like, they like reality shows and they shows really want to, want to see, see a dinosaur. A dinosaur. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I think there is something to that. There, there is a certain otherness, right, to to dinosaurs. When I was a kid, I was obsessed with dinosaurs, and for me, it all boiled down to. Nobody has ever touched a dinosaur. Like, nobody's ever touched the outside of a dinosaur. And that's all I want to do. Like, when I was a kid, all I wanted was to know what it felt like to have Triceratops skin under your fingertips. Because nobody knows what that's like. And that blows my mind to think about. Like, that's why I want the Lost World to exist. I know what you mean, dude. I didn't get a chance to go, like, to to a really big museum until just a few years ago. Like I, I got a chance to go to DC for the, the natural history museum and the air and space museum. And when you walk into the air and space museum and you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of people already knew this, <laughs> but you walk in and there's a moon rock right there. You walk in, you can touch it, <laughs> you know? And, and since then I've had a couple other chances like where you're touching an asteroid, but it's that feeling of like, uh, or I'm sorry, a uh, meteorite. Uh, but you you touch something like that though, and you feel like you feel cosmic, right? Like it's yeah, you're tra- and and while lots of other people have touched moon rocks, uh, I it still felt uh, like deeply unique, and I felt first in some way, just because it you don't think about the opportunity to touch something like that from space, and I think it's kind of that same thing. Absolutely. We want to experience it. That's why we're so obsessed with these creatures. Because we'll never we'll never meet one. We'll never know what they look like for real. We'll never know what they feel like or smell like. The closest experience I've ever had to that is I was in the woods around my my mom's house. This has been probably fifteen plus years ago. And I was helping build a trail through the woods, like a hiking interpretive nature trail. And it was on an old four-wheeler trail, so an, an ATV trail with the or an, or an old log trail with these high muddy um, berms or curbs on either side. And we were going through with Maddox and with shovels and knocking those berms down. Right. And I turned over a spade full of dirt, and there was an arrowhead in in sort of on the outside of a uh, a piece of clay. Uh huh. And I pulled the arrowhead out and at first I didn't recognize what it was and it's an intact arrowhead. 
and I'm holding this thing and I'm thinking it's been laying here on the ground. Who knows how long it's been here? Mm -hmm. And here I am mucking around in the woods with a shovel like an idiot. And I find it random, just completely randomly. And that that moment, I mean, it's not like touching something from space, but it's like touching something from another world. It's, it, that, yeah, yeah. Like I, another I, time. I, you know, that's giving me the goosebumps, dude. Like, I understand that there's a similarity there, I think, to the, all three of the things that we're kind of that we're describing here, that it's it's cosmic. And in your case, it's like you're connecting with like a lost civilization, right? <laughs> in a sense. In a sense, yeah. yeah. And a culture that I don't know anything about and probably will never understand. And I will further, someone made this with their hand, right? Right. Someone, exactly. someone put it onto the history there. Yeah. Someone put it onto a shaft and fired it or it fell out of their pocket or maybe this wasn't a very good one. So they threw it away, whatever. Um, someone had their hands on this and made it like this is, this is something that had purpose and then was lost and did, you know, did that person think about the whole? <laughs> like, is, is some jerk gonna yeah, <laughs> find like, this someday? And then that's the that's the idea of something's looking back at you. But I think in all of these instances, though, there's the common theme of this lost world, whether it's a lost civilization or a lost form of life, or or something that's just totally alien. That's that's novel. Like if it's coming, like I'm thinking of like journey to the center of the earth or something like that, where you're truly getting something that's like otherworldly or go into the moon. Like we were talking about that silent film too. I think they're all the attractiveness is in that romantic notion of, of, of reconnection and exploration. Yeah. And that's why we've had a whole season dedicated to it. <laughs> that's, that's for sure. I, th I think there is something that connects us on a, a very primal level to these lost world type stories. Tell us why you are interested in Lost Worlds. Yeah, if you're listening in and if you're still with us, let us know what you think about the Lost World genre and uh, shoot us an email, send us a voicemail, uh, let your voice be heard and, and we'll get right back with you or we'll play it on the show. Do we have time to get into some feedback? John, I know you have to get going. Go for it. Go for it. Okay, so. Well, let's, you know, we so we've received quite a number of emails here in the in the past few days so we're not going to be able to get to all of them today but we did get one that's a little bit dated but it's from uh from mr joe musinski about uh podcasting as a as a thing <laughs> in sort of our workflow and josh and i were talking about that it might be something that we know a couple other people have mentioned that they've you know gotten the podcasting bug you know since since picking up on our show so Maybe that would be something that we can at least hit. Maybe we'll hit a couple more, you know, just as time allows to, to sure. get here. But we'll we'll do our best. We'll do our damnedest to get to everybody's emails yeah. as we can. Next next time, if we if we don't get a chance to get to uh, your message this time, we certainly will next time. And we we sure do appreciate the time you take to uh, to to send us messages. But uh, Joe Musinski writes in and he gives us some good feedback about Lynn Carter and sword and sorcery. And we'll get into that maybe next time. Maybe we should devote an episode to sword and sorcery versus high fantasy versus epic fantasy. We, it could be, I think that would be cool. Maybe, yeah. maybe we can do a mailbag just like episode, just about that. If y'all are on, awesome. on, on, I'm down. Court. But as part of this message, Joe says, I feel sort of bad about this one, but you offered another letter writer advice on podcasting. And I thought I would ask myself, 
And so he has this great idea for a podcast of, of his own delving into some fantasy genres type stuff. Uh-huh. And he was wondering how in the world we put the crime cast together. And it, it really, we, we sort of, <laughs> we, we try hard. It, sometimes we, we fail. We force it is, is essentially, <laughs> we try to muscle it onto the internet. We started out. If, uh, for those of you who have been listening along with us since the beginning, you know, that we had some lo-fi, uh, days that first year or so of podcasting, we were using a Marantz recorder. Uh, digital recorder, uh, professional grade. It's highly uh, reviewed, highly sought after. So if you're just recording yourself and you want something good that you can use to record yourself or record interviews with people to carry around with you, something portable, then one of those Marantz digital recorders would be great. And I'll I'll post a link to that specific model in the in the show notes. Yeah. So definitely like portable interviews. That would be something to use, right? Yeah. So if you're looking to invest, uh, that one would be I think about five hundred bucks. Or so. So it's, it's pricey. It's on the, the high end of things. And we didn't invest in it. It was something that we had access to. Yeah. Yeah. We had access. We, we were, we lucked into that one. Yeah. Um, in but, that same vein, another option might be the snowball mic, right, Josh? That's right. The blue snowball. These blue USB microphones are, are pretty great. They're all you need to, to start a podcast to record yourself. They plug right into your USB and you can use it to talk to people over Skype. You can use Audacity to record yourself with it, which is a freeware recording software, which is what we use for the Chromecast. But if you're looking for something a little bit more intensive, I guess, then what we have is a uh, PV PV6 USB mixer. And this is a cool, uh, it looks like it's a, what, a six channel mixer. There are four spots for microphones. And so if you've got a few people sitting around a table, this would be a perfect way to get everybody into the mix. And this is the kind of thing, like if you were, you know, really into your guitar and you were mixing and mastering your own DIY, you know, Bandcamp albums, this is what you would use too, right? Like everybody would be jacked into this with their instruments. For sure. You'd be able to adjust the levels that way, you know, but the way it sets up. Uh, Josh and I are here in Kentucky, so we're both mic'd in directly, and then we have the line out from the laptop running into the uh, channel three and four. Yeah, for and so that's John in Nebraska. Yeah, yeah, it comes. It's a cable straight from Nebraska. No, uh, we've got John on Skype, and we've got my laptop plugged into the mixer, and then the mixer is plugged into the USB port of my laptop. And Audacity is picking up that as a microphone. So we're able to pick everyone up and put them into the mix and funnel them right into the computer. So, uh, you know, if you want to do this for super cheap, all you need is like the 50 to $100 snowball mic mm-hmm. that you can sit in a room with other people around you. And through the glory of some of the free programs, you can you can make the sound quality sound better than what it is for sure. If you want to spend uh, a little bit more money, then you can drop thirty bucks or so on microphones. Uh, another what thirty bucks or so on microphone stands, mm-hmm. and then the PV six mixer is about a hundred bucks. Yeah. So all told, we spent less than two hundred dollars on our setup that we're continuing to use to this day. Yeah. And and that was a uh, Christmas present from a few years ago. Yeah. And so that would be a great way to do it. But don't let cost get in your way. You've got probably a, a smartphone and you can use the recorder on that. Just 
maybe you have to hold it a few inches from your face. Mm-hmm. You can record yourself on there. You can send that file over to Audacity, edit it, boost the levels, all that stuff. And we didn't even really get into our post-production processing. Well, I think we can talk through that real quick. Okay. We can go for it. We can make a blog post, too, to help a lot of our listeners out. So, so you basically, you want to record your audio files using Audacity, because Audacity is the free version that everybody uses for everything, pretty much in the podcasting world. And it's powerful. And it's, yeah. it's The learning curve is steep. Well, at least it is for me. And I learned everything from Josh. Josh kind of... Like, gave us the tutorials to get everybody started here. But you get your raw audio file. You'll want to do a couple things. There's a there's a program called Levelate, right? Yep, the Levelator. The Levelator. It's free, and it's the bomb diggity, because inevitably you would have an audio file where somebody's going to be a loud talker, somebody's going to be a soft talker, and somebody's going to be in the middle. <laughs> so in our case, you know, John's the loud talker. Josh is in the middle, and I'm the the quieter talker. But Levelator is really powerful to sort of level those sounds out. Yep. And so you Levelate it. It it uh, the Levelator applies its own filters. Um, you can use Audacity to remove noises. So if you have you know a fan running in the background, which we often do, uh, or or whatever, then you can remove those noises. Uh, in post-production. So don't worry so much about ambient noise. A lot of it you can fix in post. Just try to get a, a quiet room as quiet as you can. Yep. And just go for I, it is, is the last yeah. little bit of advice. Like you, the, the activation energy that's required to do something like this is pretty great. But I have to tell you that Luke and I started listening to podcasts way back in like 2004 or 2005, something yeah, like, like that. Like in 05 probably. And you know, we at that point probably neither of us ever really thought about doing our own thing. We were just <laughs> no. listening to other people produce their own things. It was free content about the kind of material that we were interested in. Right? Exa- exactly. Um, and eventually we looked for a creative outlet and we, and we went for it. And as a result, you know, we've heard from a, a few folks who have listened to our show and started their own shows. So look, just do it. That's that's the main thing. Get your voice out there, because if if folks like. John and Luke and me can do this stuff, then you can too. And you've got something to say. You've got some unique viewpoints to share. And by golly, there's going to be somebody out there who's going to want to listen to them and, and, you know, send you some messages. You'll, you'll meet a lot of really cool people this way and it'll be great. Yeah. And and it really is a way for you to, you know, have control over the content that you're interested in. You know, there's, (laughs) there's a whole breadth of, material that's out there now for people that are into weird fiction horror uh science fiction fantasy and you know five years ago that wasn't around and and now it is and if if it's good you'll get a lot of listenership and if it's not so good you'll still get some listenership and regardless say that again john you'll learn yeah yeah and and regardless you know if if you're someone that's into listening to lectures and thinking about, you know, whatever the topic is at hand, it's, it's good content that tends to be accessible. You know, my only other bit of advice is if you've got a friend who you think would remotely be interested in doing this, ask him to join you because there is nothing more fun than when we get to sit down behind the mics and, and talk to one another about one of these stories or one of these movies that we've watched. It's, it's just a blast. It's an absolute blast. And, and, uh, everybody should give it a shot with their buddies. It's it's just so much fun. 
I don't so, know about you guys, but I've always felt like a consumer of the zeitgeist, I guess. And I love that we get to do the Chromecast because we get to contribute to it. We get to add something back instead of just being consumers. We're now producers. And that is a unique feeling. It's it's a good feeling. I feel like we're contributing to something bigger than us. Maybe Maybe not huge, but still important. And our voices will be archived on the internet forever. We're going to be immortal. Right. We're immortal, you guys. <laughs> Witness us! Witness <laughs> so, Joe, hopefully that answers your question. If you have any specific questions or you know uh, other things you'd like to know about, then, then just shoot us an email. It can be as cheap or as expensive as you want it to be, but it can be exceedingly cheap, and you can get a pretty great quality for, for, for little investment of money. It's more of the time. For sure. Hey, and Josh. Hey, oh. hey, Luke. Hey, Josh. Hey. Uh, how, how can the folks get a hold of us? Oh, good, good question. So we'll get to the other emails next time. John has to get going. But until next time, you can find us on the web at http colon forward slash forward slash thecromcast.blogspot.com. You can tweet at us at the Chromecast. You can find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash thecromcast. You can call us at 859-429-CROM. Get your parents' permission. I would like to apologize for my occasional diatribes this episode about the Virginia opossum. I just, I like the opossum and it came out. I'm sorry. For people who are opossum enthusiasts. And we embrace you. For opossum enthusiasts the world over. (laughs) That's right. And for those of you uh, who are giant ape enthusiasts, next time we've got your, we've got your movie, right? We'll be monkeying around. (laughs) That's right. We will. What's the, what's the movie next time, John? King Kong. Yeah, that's right. The original King Kong, the the movie that started the giant monster kaiju film. I would argue. Yeah, you'll go the ape. Peter Jackson version, right? Uh, not that. Well, I I don't hate the Peter Jackson version, but I, big tarantulas, I, right? Tune in next time. We'll be monkeying around as Luke said. <laughs> there will be some really bad puns. <laughs> next time, King Kong. See you then. I'm gonna need someone to help me. I'm gonna need somebody's hand. I'm gonna need someone to hold me down. I'm gonna need someone to care. I'm gonna rise and shake my body. I'll start cooling out my hair. I'm gonna cover myself with the ashes of you And nobody's gonna give a damn Son of a bitch Give me a drink Are you excited? I'm excited.